0: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, worship team, for your ministry. We're going to transition at this point in the service. But before we go to announcements and all of those type of things, and uh, I'm just scanning the audience to make sure that the person is not here today. I know that sounds like really bad, but it's not. But I was talking to a community person yesterday in the grocery store. And they were asking they know I'm a pastor. And my son has a relationship with their child. And they were asking me questions about the church, like if they came and they don't regularly come, would there be room for them? And they kind of just simply made this statement. They just said, Yeah, I think I think I need something. You know what? They don't need church. They don't need parkway. They don't need me. They don't even need preaching. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And if Jesus reveals himself through preaching, which he does, through worship, which he does, through the body of Christ, which he does, then yeah, we're a part of that. But ultimately, that person who's got this yearning in their heart, they need Jesus. And that's why we, in these days, have got to preach the word of God. We've got to lift up Jesus unashamedly, And we've got to build around the presence of God. I'm so thankful that people can come on Good Friday. And I just want to say this. Was sitting up front with me so bad last week, Ben and Heather? That you're in the farthest row you can possibly sit in this morning. I'm I'm just so thankful. Last week it was so full for Easter that people even had to sit with me in the front seat. But you know what? None of that really matters. What I was grateful for last week was the privilege and the honor of just planting seeds of the gospel in people's lives. And uh, I just asked Kevin, some of you wouldn't know this, but Kevin's daughter-in-law, Bobby Joe, came to this altar on Good Friday and uh, uh, just was so touched by the presence of God, she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ for the first time. And we say thank you for that, Lord. And I, Yeah. And so we're rejoicing with Kevin and Pam, and we're just believing that she's the first of everyone in your family. And I asked Kevin, how's she doing this morning? And he said, she has the flu. And I told her that, well, I'll come anyways, it's the best place for you to be. I'm not sure I agree with that. But uh, we are thankful. Kevin, we are rejoicing with you. And, and uh, when she came back Sunday, and I met her at the door, and she was just beaming and so full of the joy of the Lord, I said, thank you, Jesus, you're still saving lost people. Amen. Amen. We're going to take up our morning tithes and offerings, so if the ushers can come, we have a few announcements. All of our midweek services and programs resume this week, starting Monday morning, the ladies' study. Monday evening, the God is Good Bill Johnson series, and then our midweek. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we want to say welcome and if you could fill out this welcome card that you'll find in the seat in front of you, just there's a little bit of information there, then you can go and get free drinks and stuff from the cafe. You know what else? I'll even buy you lunch today, okay? If you come and hand in this, we'll give you free lunch. I believe it's pulled pork, and everybody said, Thank you, Jesus. Whoa. I didn't think it could get any better. It just did. And uh, so we, we just thank, thank God for having you here with us today. Go ahead and take up the offering. Uh, I just want to share something really quickly next Sunday following the morning service there is going to be a meeting for anyone interested in going on this year's missions trip to the Dominican Republic and uh, We are going to partner again with Adrian and Sharon Thomas and everyday ministries. I was talking to pastor Adrian this week And so I just want to share a prayer request and also a praise report uh, as global workers when they're on the mission field have to raise so much money and that always fluctuates and pastor adrian and sharon just shared with me that they're actually behind in their in their support that they need And so, uh, we certainly as a church, as partners with them, don't want to see them come off the mission field. Do you know that every year, and Hannah, welcome back, but Hannah's back from another year of Bible College, and uh, every first year student that goes to Master's College and Seminary spends a week with Adrian and Sharon Thomas. God has just raised them up to be kingdom equipers. People who will be pastoring churches in a few years, they have mentored hands-on. And I was talking to Pastor Adrian this week, so I really felt, led by the Spirit of God, uh, uh, that we are going to take up a special offering for them next Sunday. And we're going to give that support to PAOC, but there's another reason for it. Adrian had to come off the mission field for season for emergency surgery, Uh, And he had to fly back to Brampton. He had to have that surgery. And it's the type of surgery where they won't sew you up. It has to heal from the inside out. So he's going out of his mind, waiting for it. And he so wants to get back to the Dominican and so back to the teams that come over and partner. But they have incurred just uh, expenses that they weren't expecting, and they're already running a deficit. And so the offering that we take up next week is going to go and help them just pay for those expenses. How many of you know that we cannot outgive God as a church? The more generous that we are to the cause of the kingdom, the more generous God will be with us. I have my bag of groceries in the car. I forgot to bring it in, but remember, friends, every week we're supporting NeighborLink uh, Food Bank uh, with our groceries, and those. Who lend uh, give to the poor are lending lending to the Lord and he will provide and give back when we do that Lord take this offering Use it for your glory and honor and we do pray that you continue to heal pastor Adrian Lord. We just pray Jesus. We they, They so I mean, I've known them for years, but Lord they they I was so impressed with their integrity their servants heart their humility I was so impressed with the fact, Lord, that when we had $900 left over in U.S. funds, Lord, I told Adrian to go and use that towards his support when we were over there in November, but instead he used it uh, to buy brick and mortar to build another home for a family that needed it. What a privilege to serve people who are literally putting others before their own needs and, and themselves, Lord. And so as a church, we just partner with them But we pray you'd provide all of their needs and help us to do our part. And as the body of Christ does their part, we will continue to partner with just the incredible ministry that they do in Dominican. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so just so you know, Pastor Adrian is going to be in Canada in September, Adrian and Sharon. And we have them coming here in September. And they're going to be sharing. And I also have him sharing. Uh, Some of you, Pastor Michelle, apparently let the cat out of the bag. I am the new sectional pastor. so. I'm going to have Pastor Adrian come, and he's going to share with pastors about building bridges, not walls, and building re- that the ministry is all about building relationships. So I'm excited to partner with them. So next Sunday, following the service, you can meet with Paula LaRiviere, and I just challenge and encourage you. I was able to say this about Adrian, and I say this uh, because God puts people in our lives at the right time. We don't do anything in a vacuum. He uses people. And there was a couple of things Pastor Adrian said over on the missions trip that have literally adjusted uh, ministry for me. Here's the reality. I did accept, the district asked me if I would be the sectional pastor, which just means I encourage pastors and help pastors and the coordinating of pastors in this area. But I would have said no, like I've always said no to things like that, uh, without even thinking about it, if it had not been... For me seeing the example of Adrian's life how he is an encourager and when he pours into pastors it in turn allows those pastors to be encouraged and equipped so they can pour into others and and I came back from the missions trip and literally said Lord rather than avoiding meetings and avoiding uh, those type of things I need to be somebody that goes and just serves by encouraging the other men and women that serve alongside me and this opportunity came and so you know if you go on this trip it will change you. So that's all I'm going to say about that, okay? All right, are you ready to hear God's Word this morning? All right, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 is our text. We're going to be talking about character and how God forms character in us. You know, we live in a culture, even a charismatic culture, where we want the power of the Spirit, we We love the anointing. We love to claim the promises of God that are ours according to his word as children of God. But sometimes we want the blessings and the anointing without the foundational character to carry the anointing. Character comes at a cost. I think that's why we're not always pursuing character character maybe the way we should because it comes at a cost many want the promise with very little regard to the obedience that releases the promise and so i think one of the things that i know i've struggled with i guess in my life and i see that the church struggles is we all want to have a testimony but a testimony isn't a testimony without the trial we want the breakthrough without the test And and there's not much said about Jesus' life as a child in scriptures. We only get a couple of glimpses uh, of his life, and really only one glimpse of his life after the Bible talks about his birth. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 51 to 52, it says this of Jesus when he was 12 years old. Do you remember the story? He stayed behind in the temple and was talking to the temple leaders and that for three days. Mary and Joseph are going out of their minds looking for him when they finally find him, the Bible says that this is what happened. Then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. And by the way, that's the very verse, Luke 2, verse 52, I pray over my children every day. I pray for each one of my three kids that they'll grow in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and people. Every day I pray that. And I want you to—I want to point something out to you. It says Jesus grew. Jesus was God's son, and for thirty years, uh, the silent years of his life, he spent growing in wisdom. He he learned to grow in favor with God and people. He became subject to his parents' submission and obscurity sorry submission and obscurity and faithfulness in daily life, and none of us knew anything about it. We just know that at the end of that 30-year period, when he's baptized, God breaks forth from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus hadn't even performed one miracle yet. For 30 years, Jesus grew. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us, it says this about his life, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't say, because I'm equal with God, because I'm God's son and incarnate with him, I get a pass on life's trials and tests. You know what, Father? I am from everlasting to everlasting, and I don't want to grow in any of this stuff, and I don't want to grow in the way people grow in this stuff. I just want it all now. He He didn't grab onto that right. Do we understand that? It's an incredible thing that he humbled himself and submitted to the human existence that includes growth through life experience, tests, and trials. And I think that spoke to me this week because I I thought the anointing in, in my life, the anointing in your life, must not exceed the character that is needed to sustain the anointing. For 30 years... Jesus, who never sinned, still grew in character. He still grew in wisdom. He still grew in everything that he needed to grow in, in order to sustain the anointing that God would have for his life. That's an incredible thought. And so, the it's not an option of choosing one. You know what? I'm going to be a person that chases after Character and godliness and Christ-likeness or I'm a person that's going to chase after the anointing and the promises and the blessings of God It's not either or both are needed Character Proverbs 22 1 says a good name it doesn't say a name that's famous, but a good name is more desirable than great riches Some of you are already going really? <laughs> a good name is more desirable than great that says rights that's meant to be riches uh, to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. I think society would scoff at that now. We applaud those who have a name. We applaud those who have riches. We uh, chase after those who have fame, even if it's at the cost of good name. The world has it backwards. I think society uh, has a new trend, especially with social media and, and, the, and people, people uh, that have followings, and they have followings just for the strangest things. And a lot of the things that people are followed for, they actually have become well-known for, and they become rich for because they lack character. And yet, people still go out and buy the magazines and turn on the e-entertainment and follow on the internet. These people, simply because they're famous. Right? And sometimes I think we as believers have to ask... If someone's character is worthy of our time or devotion, I really struggle with this, and I'm going to be honest with you, not, not that I'm perfect, I'm not judgmental, but I struggle with this watching professional sports. I love, I love watching basketball. I, I, I like watching hockey once in a while. But man, I'm telling you, there, well, I, I remember one time discovering that my favorite player, who's now a coach, but my favorite player, I mean, I, this guy, he could just do things that no other white person could do on the basketball court, you know what I mean? And uh, then I found out that, that he was a pretty, pretty severely beat his wife. Man, I struggled with that. And maybe we should struggle with things a little more. Maybe we shouldn't just look at the fact that someone can act and make $20 million in a movie or someone has become rich in business or somebody can shoot a puck or dribble a ball or do whatever it is they do and say, man, I admire that person and can model my life after them when there's no sense of their character. And again, listen, friends, I also want to be careful because we can't judge people of the world by our standards. They're just being true to themselves, right? And we're called to love the world, not judge the world. We're called to judge ourselves in God's house. Does this make sense? But how many of you know, sometimes, like, it just seems that people, people get rich and famous despite the fact that they have no character. And uh, I think sometimes we in the church are guilty of having it backwards as well. We can honour the talented, the gifted, those who seem to have spiritual gifts without testing the character of a person. And on a day-to-day personal level, I think... We can try to utilize prayer, take spiritual authority and power in Jesus' name. We can fall back in our standing as loved children of of God as a means to bypass. Listen, as a means to bypass any trials, suffering, or simply difficulties. And when we face those things, we curse them, we curse God, and we curse circumstances. Come on, this this is true. When I was a teenager, they had devotionals like, if God loves me, why can't I find my keys? If God loves me, why can't I get my locker open? Really? Have we really reduced our faith to that? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> no, I, I wonder. I wonder if the Lord gave us a choice, if the Lord appeared to us and said, here's the situation. You can be saved and get to heaven, but as far as your life on earth is, you can either be a person of character and a person of godliness A person that I can use as an example of integrity and strength. But it's going to come at a great cost. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be things that you have to overcome. Because how many of you know the best kind of wisdom comes not not by reading about it, but by experiencing it. You You can have all of that, but it's going to come at a cost. Or you can have a life of comfort, a life of blessing, but lack the character, but you'll still get in. I wonder how many believers would honestly, and again, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but believers would go, honestly, I'll take the life of comfort. Thanks, Lord. I just want to get in. and It's not a real question, though, because we're not really given that option. Because God is infinitely more interested in J. Black's character than he is in my comfort. James 1, 2 to 4. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, which leads to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result, and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. I'm going to jump to something that wasn't in my original notes, but uh, James chapter 1, verse 12 it tells us this. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 12 says this why why would we ever consider it joy that we go through trials James 1 verse 12 gives us the answer blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because when they have stood the test they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them so there's two promises Uh, we we don't rejoice in the trial thank you God that I got laid off this week I I I we, we don't, that's, that's just silliness. But we can find joy in the trials because we know, according to even Jesus' own teaching, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Bless, 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 because there's something about trials that opens us up to the blessing of God. And the second thing is that uh, when we endure the test, when we endure the trial, the Bible says we'll receive a crown of life one day. I really believe that if we try to avoid all of the tests and the trials that come our way, that develop our character and make us into who God wants to make us, somehow the reward that God wanted to give us in eternity won't be what He thought it was, what we thought it would be. So, James chapter 1 verse 2, I want to clear up a few things. Are you still hanging with me? You're quiet this morning. All right. James didn't write, if you face trials, but when you face trials. Kind of echoing Jesus. And you've heard preachers say this before. We put the promises of God in our fridge, but we never put the one where he said, in this life you'll have many troubles. We don't really want to get up in the morning and claim that when we're having our morning coffee, right? But, when you face trials. So let's clear up and properly define trials. Listen, please understand. There's no precedence that the word trials means sickness anywhere in the New Testament. We've interpreted it that way. We experientially go through it and say, I'm going through this trial of sickness, and I understand that sometimes it feels like a trial, but we have got to understand something. How many of you want to be biblical? Right? We we need to be biblical. And the Greek word for trials that's used in the New Testament is never, ever used When it's speaking of sickness or disease, it's being interpreted that way uh, But let's be biblical so the Greek word can actually mean two different things first It can mean a test or trial which we'll look at in a second or a temptation or enticement to sin now Temptation part we all understand the enticement of sin is all around us But the thing that we need to realize is that temptation never comes from God God doesn't tempt us towards sin so that we can pass the test and let's be honest, how many of you know, we don't need God to tempt us in anything. We do a pretty good job in that all on our own. Right? Put me in an empty room, and at some point I'll get ticked off at the person I'm with. Think about that. It's like that, it's like a, it's like that comic I saw one time, and, and a man was on a desert island for 20 years, and when they rescued him, they found a sign that said, First Island Church. And then they saw another sign that said Second Island Church and Third Island Church. And they said, where are all these churches from? And he said, well, I built them. And they said, well, why would you build them? Aren't you the only one here? He said, yeah. And they go, why is there three? And he goes, well, I got ticked off at that one, so I built a new one. And I got angry at that, and I built a third one. How many of you know temptation doesn't come from God? James 1.13 says, let no one say when we're tempted that they are tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt by anyone. So temptations do not come from God. And you say, man, you're really laboring over that. But I've heard people say, oh, man, I know God sent me this temptation so that I can be strengthened under it. That's not biblical. God would never entice you towards something that might draw you away from him and bring harm to himself, ever, ever. And see, here's here's what happens: is we resist and choose to deny ourselves, as we resist that temptation and live in obedience to God's word, then our spiritual character grows. Galatians five sixteen tells us to live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful nature. And so we gain spiritual authority. Uh, we we gain spiritual tenacity. By overcoming the enemy in sin, James 5 tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. A righteous person. In John 14, verse 30 to 31, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he makes this incredible statement. He says, I will not be with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commanded me. We all understand the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection. We celebrated that last week. We all understand uh, the importance of him pouring out the Spirit. But sometimes we lose sight of the importance of the 30 years that he lived life as a human being. And for 30 years he was tempted... And for 30 years, the devil tried to, just like he does all of humanity, get Jesus to sin. And for 30 years, Jesus said no to Satan and said yes to God's will and God's word. And so when Jesus was with his disciples, he was able to say, the devil has nothing on me. He has no hold on me. That word hold means power over me or claim on me. And so Jesus' life was important because Jesus did what no one else was able to do. And by doing that, he reclaimed the place of humanity in their favor with God. Then he could step in and die on behalf of the rest of guilty humanity. So he was able to say, Satan's got nothing on me. And so, when you and I resist temptation and when we say no to sin, we're taking authority over Satan and living free from any legal right he may try and establish in our lives through temptation, any claim that he has to us that leads to sin and strongholds. So, spiritual authority, friends, power in prayer is more than evoking Jesus' names or throwing a few promises at it. Our lives matter. Our lives matter. We are the righteousness of Christ. We have been made perfect and whole, but spiritual authority is living. It comes by living free of accusation, is living free from the power and grip of sin and continually being set apart to God. We looked at this before, but judiciously, if Satan can stand before God and say, God, uh, I have accusation against Jay Black, that's true, this is what he's done, it's gone unforgiven in his life, then his accusations can block God's power Power flowing and answering my prayer because he has legal access to me through accusation so how do we break that off we come before the judge of heaven and earth and we plead for the mercy of Jesus blood because it's the only thing that breaks the accusation we are the righteousness of Christ which means we can never be righteous enough But his righteousness is imputed to us. But we're in the process of being sanctified. And and now who we've been declared to be in the courts of heaven, we start to walk. And every day we start to live. And every day that we say no to the enemy and we say yes to the spirit, we're gaining spiritual authority over the enemy. Does that make sense? Acts chapter 19. We read this a little bit this morning about Paul having power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons... That had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. Now, listen to this. Actually, it's not a funny story, but it kind of is. But it's not really. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, "I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached, just to come out." Uh, Seven sons of Sceva, leading priests, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence, they fled from the house. That's not funny, but the next part kind of is. Naked and battered. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to make light of it. These are people that literally got beat up by a demoniac. But you know what they were trying to do? They were trying to evoke the name of Jesus outside of walking in submission to Jesus. And, and I always try to put myself in Scripture, and I try to picture it anyways. It's fine, I won't. But listen, our lives matter. We must learn to resist temptation. What's the point of rebuking the devil over here if he's got mastery of us here? Jesus said, he's got nothing on me. He has no hold on me. He has no accusation against me. He can't point his finger at me. There's no stronghold in his life. There's not even a quiver of something that I can even bend a little bit to try to... Nothing. He's got nothing on me. Praise God. And we know Jesus did everything, not as God's son, but everything as a man in submission to the Holy Spirit. He submitted to the Holy Spirit, said yes to God, said no to the devil. I'm going to back that up. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Full of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Returned from being baptized in the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him, verse 13, until an opportune time. Now listen to verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee. Say it with me. In the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus was the first uh, person to ever be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You realize that? Because the Bible says, when John says, when I baptized him and he came up out of the water, the Spirit came on him and remained. Jesus Uh, in that moment of baptism, was identifying with sinful mankind. And as a person who is saying, I am fully human and I'm fully committed to the experience of humanity, Jesus had to be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, in order to minister for the next three years. And so the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit, He was led into the desert. There are a lot of charismatic Pentecostal Christians that are full of the Holy Spirit, and yet we still lack the power of the Spirit to back up what has been declared as ours in God's Word. Why? Because we are not overcoming temptation, and we're giving the devil legal access. Jesus was tempted for 40 days, and when he walked out of there, the devil still had no hold on him. So Jesus, who was full of the Spirit, now left in the power of the spirit because he'd yielded to the spirit through temptation no formulas no shortcuts that's why james says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective as we re- resist sin as we continue to be sanctified and our minds renewed by god's word we gain spiritual authority you can be baptized in the holy spirit but the power to release and use what's been given us uh, doesn't come until we're yielded submitted and sanctified does this make sense this morning? So let me just say this. Jesus, who had no propensity towards sin, needed to go through the process of overcoming temptation, saying no to the, the devil, saying yes to, G, saying yes to the Father. What well, makes us think that you and I can bypass that and have power and anointing and authority in our lives? Second use of trial, and we're, we're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes. The second use of trial are those things that come our way that test us. And as you continue to read in James, uh, it's clear that trials, again, if we're going to be biblical, trials are not the situations we find ourselves in because of our own shortcomings or malicious talk. In verse 26, he says that anyone who does not control their own tongue has a worthless religion. I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, growing up as a pastor's kid, Uh, And even in my own life I can testify to this there's a difference between a trial that comes because of the circumstances of life by the way the word trials in the New Testament is usually used with the cost and the price that comes for serving Jesus that's the most common use trials but the Bible doesn't consider trials they don't consider The things that I cause because of my big mouth or my bad attitude or my stubbornness or the blinders that I have on or the mess of broken relationships I leave behind because I'm just self-centered. The Bible doesn't consider any of those things trials. You know what the answer to those things are? Repent and keep this shut. But it doesn't tell us they're trials. The trials that come uh, are those things that we face as a direct result of serving Christ. Not necessarily persecutions. You think about this for a moment. Or, okay, think about, you know, when when there's a choice to be made where you can either get ahead in the workplace or not take responsibility for a mistake and you choose to do what the Scripture tells you to do, to be honest, to be upfront, and, and the persecution or the trial or the cost comes. Those are the things the Bible tells us are trials. And the second thing it speaks of are trials are just the things that everybody goes through in life but we respond to them according to God's word and the leading of the Spirit. So the word testing, uh, oh, sorry, so Proverbs 17.3 tells us, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. So how we respond with wisdom and grace and the Holy Spirit and the word is how uh, we know that we're passing or failing the test. The testing in the Greek is the word dokemion, There. Uh, you would have thought I was smart, except I probably didn't pronounce it right, so now we're back to square one. <laughs> uh, sorry. I used to love these pastors that would throw around the Greek, and sometimes I'd think they're doing it just to sound smart, but how many of you know you can Google the Greek, right? All right. Uh, but the word literally means demonstrating the true quality of something when it undergoes a trial. So we need to clear something else up. Trials can be what God uses to help us see clearly and determine where our faith is really at friends our faith is not strengthened in trials trials faith is tested through trials faith is not produced or developed by trials trials reveal what faith we do have Not because God doesn't know how much faith we have but to make our faith evident to ourselves and to those around us our true character manifests in trials listen again let's be biblical trials don't I've heard people say to me uh, and I've probably said it as well you know oh this test this trial this circumstance is building my faith it's not how is our faith built according to God's Word faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God faith comes by the word of god faith comes by renewing our minds in the word of god that's where faith comes all of us have been given the measure of faith that we need for life our faith is quickened our faith is focused our faith becomes trusting our faith becomes bold our faith becomes strong to every task through the word of god trials test our faith and reveal where our faith is at and so if you want a strong active, trusting trial overcoming faith you've got to be in the word the problem is so often we wait until the trial comes and then we might not have the faith to respond with the integrity godliness and we'll fail the test and if the trial is longer than the faith then we're going to fail and run out of steam That's why we must have our minds renewed each day because we don't know what the day brings. We don't know what next week brings, so we've always got to have our minds renewed in God's Word and our faith activated in God's Word and be living according to God's Word so that when the trial comes, we have the faith to go through it and we know that we've passed the test by our response to the trial. And so again, trials don't produce faith, but when trials are received with faith, it produces patience. Man, I, I, patience is one thing I never pray for. Because in order for my patience, in order for my patience to be strong, there's got to be things that test it. But again, I don't need to ask for it; it comes anyways. That's why my faith has to be in God's word, right? I don't pray things anymore. I've people have come to me, Matt, and they've said things like, "I'm just asking God to break me." And I kind of look at him and go, hmm, I really want to say, that's stupid. <laughs> Do you really want God to break you? The Bible tells me, humble yourself, a contrite spirit, break yourself. Because I would rather be broken by my own submission than have God break me, right? And so I would rather uh, have a faith that can, that can go through every test and every trial ahead of time than in the moment be scrambling going, uh-oh. And it comes by the word of God. That word patience, that's why we count it all joy. Because the testing of our faith produces patience. And the word patience comes from two words which mean under and to stay and to abide and to remain. At its root, it means to remain under. And it doesn't necessarily have the picture of saying, oh, I'm just going to stay in this bad situation so that I can just, you know, suffer. No, it says that we stay in the situation and we don't try to find shortcuts. We don't try to find unbiblical, fleshly, ungodly ways to get out of that situation, but we remain in that situation. And by the grace of God, as he leads us and as our faith faces that challenge, as God's word speaks to it, we are strong and we're patient knowing that God is getting us through. And our character and our integrity stays in place while we go through it that's what that word means to stay under to be resolute under a heavy load and trying instead of trying to escape it in unbiblical ungodly ways and friends I believe that that's one of the maladies of the modern church is that we are responding to things the way the church does here's a real quick example the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church why are you suing each other and taking each other to court before ungodly people you think you have rights? Isn't it better to lay aside the rights than to slander the name of Jesus? See, see, when we're faced with a trial where we're being, where we're being tested and things are wrong because of what others are doing, Paul is saying the godly person remains in that trial and keeps their integrity in that trial rather than suing someone on the other side of the church before an ungodly court. Okay, I got really quiet. If we had tumbleweed, it would be going... <laughs> Paul says it's better to be wronged than to get what is yours and to be ungodly about it. That's what this word means. We patiently endure under the trial because we're refusing to give up our character and our integrity no matter the consequences. Does this make sense? And then patient endurance is the mark of a person who is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I know I've been guilty I know I've said this to my wife before when we've gone through things in the ministry in our lives. I've said, Man, if this is perfecting me, I'd rather be imperfect. <laughs> right? But here's here's what this this means, and with this I'm closing. That phrase, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There was two kind of uh, two two kind of illustrations that were used. For that term the first was more of a secular one and it was borrowed from the Grecian games uh, and only men were allowed to compete then so the man was perfect who in any of the athletic exercises had got the victory he was entire having everything complete who had the victory in the pentathlon and each of the five exercises in other words he had five things that he had to compete in and the word that complete and lacking nothing meant that he finished all five and he was able to complete them and see them through. That's what it means. The Apostle Paul said, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. That was said, I've run the race and i finished the race. In Revelation, Jesus says over and over again in the first few chapters, Jesus says, to the one who overcomes, I will give. To the one who completes the race. How many people do we know started out well? They started excited. Friends, listen. We need to pray for Bobby Joe. Okay? Can you can you stand with Pam and Kevin and pray for? Uh His daughter-in-law, Bobby Joe, can we do that? Do you know why? Because she started out, and she started out well, and she started out strong. But it's not always how you start, because as long as we're in the race, there's time for adjustment. I'm not sure I started out well in my Christian faith. I started out with compromise in my Christian faith, but thank God I'm still in the race, and and God gives us room to adjust. But how many people do we know started out strong? They started out fast. They were at the starter's mark, and they took off, and somehow, somewhere, they've, they've got themselves out of the race, and they're not even finishing, never mind finishing well. That word means that Patience produces, uh, uh, sorry, that that the trials produce patience, which means that we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It means that in this race that we're called to run, we will not drop out, we will not quit, but we will finish, we will stay strong. How many people have become disillusioned because of testing and trials that have come in their life, and they've dropped out, and they've fallen out, and they've given up. You and I need to cross the finish line. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, our eyes fixed on Jesus, and even even when we're in these trials, realizing they're making us perfect so that one day we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've finished the race I set before you. Some of you are responding well, but I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. So, God looks down at Job, Job and says to Satan, do you see my servant Job? And Satan says, you've put a hedge around him. I'm going to be honest with you, until, until I read Job again a few months ago, uh, people used to pray, you know, oh God, put a hedge around him. And I'd think, what good is a bush gonna do if the devil wants to? But then I read this and I realized it's actually biblical. God said, put a you've put a hedge around Job. And the devil says, if you take that hedge away, he will curse you. I'm so thankful. Job passed the test. How many want to be boastworthy? I know some of you know the story of Job, and you're going, honestly? <laughs> How many want to be boastworthy? Come on, friends. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, as we wrap up this morning, I just want to say our character is important to God. I know it shocks some of us, but because God is a good father, our character is infinitely more important than our comfort. He wants to complete in us what he started He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Peter says that we've been given everything that we need for a life of godliness. We have the provision of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Last Sunday was exciting, wasn't it? Resurrection Sunday. My goodness, Hannah. Jesus was in the grave three days. And then suddenly he sat up, he walked out, and he proved to everybody that he was who he said he was. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. And that same Spirit lives in me. That same Spirit lives in you. So how can we quit? How can we quit? God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. He's promised that if he holds us in the palm of his hand, he'll never let us go. But we have to determine that we will finish well. We have to determine that we are going to to, uh, persevere under trial and let him uh, form the character and godliness in us. Listen, this isn't necessarily a question of our salvation, but it is a question of the quality of our eternity. You never read in Scripture, let me rephrase that, Jesus talks about the talents, those who are given the one, the two, and the five, or the, you know, five and the ten talents. Based on what people did with those talents is the reward that they receive. And it could just be that some of the talents, some of the thing that Jesus entrusts to us is the building of our character in the midst of trials. I don't want to get before Jesus someday and have him say, well, Jay, you made it in. You kind of finished the race. You crawled. You stumbled. You got across." That's biblical as well because the Bible says that we'll be tested by fire. And some will be tested as wood, hay, and stubble, and others gold. And what's left when the refiner's fire touches it is what we will be able to offer Jesus for all of eternity. So your reward and my reward, not our salvation, not our eternity, but the quality of our eternity is based on what we do in this life. And may we persevere under trial so that we may be complete, lacking nothing, and not stand before Jesus someday and have him say, I had so much more for you. The quality of my Eternity is going to be based on the depth of my character. Because anything that's not of Jesus, I can't take with me, right? And that includes my character. Anything that is of the flesh and of J. Black is going to be burned up that day, but anything that I've allowed to be formed, the image of Christ in me, the fruit of the Spirit in me, that's going to remain for eternity. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Our faith and our character allow us to go through trials without ever losing abundant life, joy, peace, or victory. And they prepare us for future glory. So we can't bypass them, or we'll keep taking the test, and taking the test, and taking the test. In life, Jesus said, you'll have many troubles and we can spend our days on earth cursing the things that we go through or we can spend our lives going through them knowing that because because we're in the word and our minds are being renewed and our faith in him is strong, that we will pass every test and it won't be easy and it will be difficult and sometimes we may recount the cost, but you and I are going to decide it is worth it. He's worth it. It will be worth it one day. Why? Because James, go home and read it again. James 1.12 says, blessed. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, for they will receive the crown of life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, before we ever came to Parkway, I've shared this for those that have been here. Before we ever came to Parkway, I went through the, the darkest, deepest time of my life as far as anxiety and worry went and And I can remember I felt like I was always one day away from checking myself into a hospital. You know what got me through? The presence of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. God's Word got me through. For a while, I thought I was failing the test because I depended and leaned on him so strongly. I remember calling my dad saying, Dad, I'm not over the edge yet, but my feet are there. (laughs) My toes are hanging over the edge. I said, Dad, I think I'm going to have to check myself into the hospital and, and get medication for this because I can't do this. It was just circumstances. And he encouraged me, he spoke into my life, my wife spoke into my life and encouraged me. But you know something? I don't think Jesus had ever been sweeter to me as he was during that time. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't ever want to go through that again. I'm not a sucker for punishment. But I was blessed because he was with me. And I think... Let me throw this out. I think the answer to victory in life is walking that intimately with him when there's no tests. Like like Ben and I were just sharing, When, when we have a week where we don't feel that we're driven into his presence and driven to his word because there's some external force doing it, but where that internal, I mean, I just got to get in his word. I've just got to get in his presence. I've just got to pray today. I got to renew my mind today. Uh, that I, think the, I think abundant life and victory comes when we're doing that every day, and then all of a sudden, when the test and the trial comes, we just go, you know what? We've got this. That's abundant life. Abundant life's not living a life that's comfortable, and avoiding anything that, that disrupts that false peace and comfort, it's knowing that greater is He in me than He that is in the world. Let's stand together this morning. Some of you have gone through trials and tests deeper and longer than I ever have. And I just want to honor you today. I just I just bless you today, and I just pray God's blessing on you today. I just bless you that you're a person of character. You're a person of integrity. And yes, sometimes we stumble and fall. It's like God's word says we're pressed down, but we're not defeated. We are perplexed, but we're not totally confused and throwing in the towel because God is working in us something greater for his glory and for our character. And you went through that test. And you are more like Jesus now than you were before. And I just bless that over your life today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But can all of us who have gone through tests and trials, can we just say, God, you're a good God. Let's give him glory for 30 seconds. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He will see us through. Because the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous can always run to him and find safety. Thank you, Lord. So God, as we meditate on your word this week from James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4, I pray it would just be what quickens our faith and that when that faith is quickened, Lord, we will pass every test that life brings our way and we will do it with our character intact and our integrity intact and we'll even be able to do it with joy because we'll say we are blessed people because people in the world are going through the same circumstance and they're being defeated, but I am going through this in the power and the provision of the Holy Ghost that is in me. So Lord, we can find joy in that. Joy in that. But we can also find joy in who you're making us to be and what awaits us that day. We give as a vision of eternity. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I pray that the wonderful blessing and goodness of God the Father And the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, and the presence and power and intimacy of the Holy Spirit would go with each and every one of you today as you go out and make an impact for your world for that name of Jesus that touched you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day.